So there are four places in the newsletter that we talk about referrals. And I think when people think of referral systems, they think that, okay, well, if I tell Aunt Susie, hey, if you got a friend or neighbor who needs us, just make sure you give them our number. Welcome to the More Clients, Less Effort podcast, where we provide expert insights and strategies to turbocharge your business growth. I'm your host, Tim Hyde. And in this series, we'll unpack the secrets, proven systems, and the sales and marketing strategies used by successful business owners to attract, convert, and keep A-class clients on autopilot. Whether you're a seasoned entrepreneur looking to scale your customer acquisition or a budding startup owner looking to crack the code on attracting the right clients, you've come to the right place. Join us on this journey to building a thriving business that leaves a lasting impact. Now let's get started. Hello and welcome back to another episode of More Clients, Less Effort. I am joined today by a very, very special guest, Vance Morris. Vance, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Now, Vance, you're a former birth control factory security guard. I am. Disney leader, turned bankrupt out-of-work executive, turned carpet cleaner, and turned successful entrepreneur who's about to launch your fifth business concurrently, of course. Vance is a, what was, is... Was I guess you you are an alumni, but you were with the Walt Disney World Resort Management. I was. That is a was. Having spent ten years as a leader in the resorts, you now run only experience systems and direct response marketing businesses on the planet. Here, he teaches coaches companies to create create experience service systems, which we're going to get into in a bit more detail later, and then monetize them through direct response marketing. Now, you are the longest reigning marketer of the year with some Dan Kennedy Awards and a whole bunch of other letters, G, oh, sure. uh, G Nobs, MM. I don't even know what those all are, Vance, but you're going to tell us in a sec, mate. <laughs> well, it's Welcome like having a PhD with an XYZ and a PDQ behind it. So Yeah, so I think it's funny how we managed to create acronyms for just about everything. Right? If you're not in the industry itself, you kind of don't know what they are. But one thing I'm super interested in in your journey, mate, is is how you've gone from birth control factory security guard to to Disney to to kind of getting to this point where you've taken a whole bunch of of skills and and brought them together as as the businesses that you have now, which are all wrapped around customer experience, which is so important and often thing that's that's forgotten. But let's let's go back. Let's go back to security guard and wandering yeah. the lot at night and go, oh, this is not for me. How do I? Am I the first birth control factory security guard you've had on your show? I think you might be. I think you might. Right. Unless if I find another one, it'll be unusual. Yeah. So no, it was just one of those jobs that you had to help pay for school. So it was summers and certainly never thought I would put it on a resume. But when you put it as part of your introduction, it kind of catches people's eye or ear. And and that's one of the things that when, when you're talking about being somebody else, being somebody for a certain niche and also not being vanilla, because too often you hear these introductions, well, so-and-so went to Harvard with an MBA and graduate. We've all heard those. So I like to use things that people are going to notice there. And when they hear that, they're automatically going to pay attention. He said, what, what? He said, what? Birth control? What? And so, I mean, I does it have any bearing on my professional business? Probably not. Does it help me get attention? Certainly. But uh, yeah, no, after college and working a few years, a friend of mine, I probably had one of the easiest interviews at Disney ever. Buddy of mine from school was a, a recruiter for Disney, he called me up and he says, look, we're opening up a whole bunch of properties. Do you want to come down and work? 
And that was the extent of the interview. Um, like, okay, sure. So I'm like, well, all right, Orlando, Central Florida, beaches and babes and bars. What could go wrong for a 23-year-old? A lot of fun. But I did. I spent a decade there. It was probably in the top three of great experiences, probably in the top two, other than starting my own businesses for professionally, uh, was in the, is in the top two. I, I, there was just, I learned, I didn't realize how much I was learning when I was there. I don't think, when I look back on it and I think about, because we talk about systems now for when we talk with clients, we talk about marketing systems or how to change a bus flat tire system, but we don't often talk about the client experience system. And Disney really has that all figured out. Say what you will about their politics. I mean, the last couple of years has not been great for them, but it hasn't diminished the experiences that they provide their guests at their parks and at their uh, resorts. So I try to steer clear of all of that political talk. However, at Disney, I started to realize that maybe having a boss just wasn't for me. So I left. A lot of people do leave Disney, moved up north to Boston, which is a your geography. That's quite the shocker to the system. And then moved to Baltimore. I've had a few corporate jobs. I like to say I got laid off. The reality of it is I've been fired twice. And I think I realized that I just make a lousy employee. I don't like to be told what to do. So after the second uh, termination, I said, what the heck with this? I'm just going to start my own business. Because then I can't about fired. the difference, because I guess coming from Disney, which is so focused on, and then deliberately focused on the customer right. experience, right? To be the happiest place on earth, right? To, I guess, what must have been a, not just a, a weather shock, but a culture shock working in corporate. What do you see as the biggest differences? And, and why don't corporate businesses kind of look at the experience they give to both their employees and to their customers in the same way that Disney does. Is it is it related to the product they're presenting or something else? Well, a lot of people feel incorrectly that just because they have a superior product means that they are going to be extremely busy, overflowing with customers or patients, and are just going to have no problems making money. And that may happen for a very brief period of time. Maybe you eke out two years. But sooner or later, there are no new products really out there. I mean, a tire is a tire, a dentist is a dentist. The only thing that separates, you know, one dentist from another dentist is the experience that they provide in their office. I mean, there's only so many ways to clean teeth, right? I mean, two, three, maybe. So how does a, a, a dental professional charge three times more for the same procedure than the dentist, not even down the street, maybe in the same building, charge three times more than the guy next door? And it's all by the experience that they provide either through their marketing, through their their in-office experience, their customer or their patient retention, the relationship building. And I think a lot of businesses, to answer your the question, is that they're very short-sighted. They think that all they need is, a, I, I deliver a great product. Everybody should come to me because I deliver a great product. I just couldn't be more further from the truth. And so the only thing, again, like the only thing that's going to separate these businesses is the experience they provide. I own a carpet cleaning business. Do I clean carpet any better than the next guy? I'd like to think so, but how do I get prices that are 40% higher closer than my closest competitor? It's through the experiences we provide in the homes, on the telephone, and in our marketing. So they don't often see the ROI of providing an experience. 
Yeah, so I, I think, think it's one of those things that when we look at, ultimately, we look at the customer journey, right? and that's partly the experience we're trying to create for people. It's very little to do with the thing that we do. Right? Yeah. As I said, you know, it's not the thing that we do. And in many cases, your customer may not even see the thing that you do. Right? They hand over their dirty rug and it comes back clean. Yeah. Um, they go to the dentist and had a toothache before and toothache after, but they're not sort of sitting there watching you perform the procedure in in your mouth too often. Right. Because you close your eyes and you hope that the drill is not going too deep. But the experience thing is is really around that we, we kind of forget that it's not we're not B to C or, or B to G or, or B to B, right? We're human to human. And that human who's buying from us is going on an emotional journey, right? Between where they right. were and where they're going to end up. And we can manufacture that emotion, can't we? 100%. And, and and it's thing you, you bring up the customer journey, customer journey mapping, which is something that I insist on all of my clients going through that exercise, all the way from the point of first interaction with an ad, whether it be a postcard, an online ad, a, a radio commercial, whatever it is, and map out the customer journey from there. The one piece that I think is missing a lot, and you touched on it, is the emotion in that journey. And because people buy based on emotion and then they justify it using their brain, which is why Apple is so successful. I mean, just look at Apple commercials. I mean, they just, I don't know, the the one, there was a Christmas commercial for an iPhone or an, or an Apple product. And it was Frankenstein was the actual main character in this ad. And he goes down to the village and he does all this stuff. And there's actually no words in the entire ad. And it's, it's got Christmas and the whole town starts singing with Frankenstein. I mean, you'll never see Microsoft doing that. You just because Microsoft sells computers, Apple sells experiences and Apple also. And that's why if you go to like a, the Apple store, does Apple or you go to a Microsoft store, which there is actually such a thing. The Apple store is always packed. Because people are emotionally attached to that product. And that's what Disney does so well. People are emotionally attached to Disney. I mean, you either love them or hate them. And the people that love them will go to the ends of the earth to protect them. The same thing with your business, though. And we talked a little bit about client retention strategies. One of the things that I shamelessly use in all of my marketing are my children. And it's funny because I, I do a monthly printed newsletter for the home service businesses. And it was at the grocery store. When my daughter was younger. She's probably about eight or nine years old. And a lady came up to us in the groceries and, and said, oh, my God, Emma, how was your ballet recital? And I mean, my daughter looks at me, I look at her and I'm like, who's this nutty old woman accosting us in the in the grocery store? Being and then I had to think, oh, wait, she must be a customer. She gets my newsletter and I've told her that Emma does ballet. So instead of running and hire, hiding in the frozen food section, we're like, great, what's your name? And we have a nice conversation. But see, that woman, I have attached myself emotionally to that woman. She is emotionally attached to my company. I would have to do horrible things in order for her to ever leave me because she is emotionally attached. And just to your point at the beginning, selling on emotions and then maintaining the relationship on emotions is is very powerful. And Disney understands that. Well, I think that we, we, if we look at the sort of holy grail of, of marketing, the triumvirate, if you will, right? First thing that people need to look, know, like, and trust. Certainly. Pretty well-known sort of phrase in, in marketing. If people aren't aware of who you are, you've got no hope at all. Okay, so first thing, we've actually got to do something in the market. 
and, and the more consistent we are, the better. Mm-hmm. Second thing we need to we need to they need to trust us. Right? We need to actually be at least competent at what we do. That helps. Right? And we can, we can entry that with level some social proof. Yeah. We don't need to be the best in the world. We just need to be competent at what we do. But the key one I think there is is like. And I applaud you for shamelessly putting your children into your marketing because I don't think we do that enough, not necessarily with our children, but we don't necessarily, we don't really expose who we are as a business and what we stand for enough to establish this relationship where someone might actually like who we are and right. what we stand for. Too often, and I think this is the problem with corporate in many ways, in you know, big corporates, is we think that we need to be this brown box. And we get into corporate, we've got to sort of fit into this thing. We can't really offend anybody because well, what if they what if they don't like what we do? They won't buy from us right. if they don't like what we do. But by being so bland and boring, it's very difficult to like it or or love it. Mm-hmm. Right? And so you become commoditized. The only other way you can be you can relate to something is that you become commoditized and it's like, well, I don't care whether I buy that thing or this thing right. because they're exactly the same. There's no, I don't know what these people stand for. There's not nothing to, there's nothing to like and there's nothing to love. And you know, when we look at people's social media pro- profiles, I think this is what we see. We see all the expert advice in the world and very little of here's me and my daughter at their ballet recital or yep. here's me and my son at my rugby game or I'm about to bugger off for France to do which to watch the Rugby World Cup. Nice. So here's me in France doing this 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 thing that allows people to connect with us and like or not like us as appropriate. Right. It's funny. I mean, there. if you talk to any of my members and you ask them, what what's Vance's dog's name? 95% of them are going to get it right because I use the dog, the stories about the dog, just again points of connection with people and it's deliberate. I mean, I literally have on my calendar say, okay, well, I haven't talked about Lola in three weeks. I should probably do a dog story. Great. What did Lola do funny this week? Great. I'll make a marketing story out of it and and send out an email. But the word that you that you used where so many businesses end up because they are bland and because they are vanilla is being commoditized. And you have no price elasticity. You have, I mean, nothing. The only thing that controls pricing in a commoditized market is the market. I mean, iron ore, sugar, wheat, you can't get a higher price on a commodity. It's when you start to deliver goods, services, and experiences, that's when you start to get the price elasticity. And that's when you start to get the domination of the marketplace because you can offer things that are not commoditized. And if you can compare apples to apples, you're in you're in deep trouble. If you if you're an apples to oranges comparison, I mean, we did the same thing in our in our carpet business. We literally have a a sheet that is our apples to oranges comparison. On the off case that a client just says they're shopping around for the best price. We give them a list of 12 questions that they should ask any carpet cleaner before they allow them into their home. And we have our answers in one column, which of course are all positive. And then there's a column for competitor A and a column for competitor B. And we tell them, look, you're not going to find another carpet cleaner like us. If you can find another carpet cleaner that can answer these 12 questions positively, we will pay for them to clean your carpet. And in 14 years of offering that guarantee, I have had a zero people because I know they can't do it. So as soon as you can break that commodity bond or whatever you want to call it, stop being a commodity. I think that's the bottom bottom line. 
Yeah, I think that's something so important. I want to shift gears here and, and talk about some of the systems you've used and you just sure. shared, I think, a, a fantastic system that you use in your carpet cleaning business, which is your apples to oranges comparison, right? And it is a good one to give and say, hey, you know, we'll pay for have your carpet cleaned if, if you can find someone else who does these 12 things. Now, naturally, if we pull back a bit of metadata here, you've you've written those questions in a way that you can answer yes, and we know that your competitors can't, which is a- Some, you know, some and- yes. I mean, it, it's not a, I mean, some of them are very, what do, you, what do you do with the wastewater, the dirty water at the end of the job? 90% of our competitors let it run down the driveway into the sewer. We bottle it up and take it back to our shop to dispose of it. A lot, At least half will use subcontractors. Mm-hmm. We don't. We only use employees. Normally, I can weed out 75, 80% of my competitors with just those two questions. So, and was it difficult to find those things? No, because I know what the competitors are up to. And I mean, I am one of them, but here's all the things that they do. And I swore I would never do them, which is again, do do the opposite of what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing to put into your marketing as well. Talk to me more about one of the systems that you have. It doesn't, it can be in all businesses. What's in fact, I kind of know you're about to launch your fifth business. With the exception of the coaching one, you have very little to do other than getting to spend all the ill-gotten gains, right? Which is which is what we want, right? We're right. building a business so that it can give us the lifestyle we want, right? In your case, it's because yeah. you like starting new things, as do I. So, but if you were con- consumed in them, that'd be jobs, right? right. We established we don't like jobs; we want businesses. And that's what we're trying to build here. But what's a system that you would say that you try to put in every business that you go? This is my go-to. Whatever the business it is, this is the system that I will put in place. Talk to me about. Sure. There's a couple because I mean I think I am not. If people come to me and say, "Oh, I need more leads. I need more leads." I am not your guy for that. I know I know my limitations. However, and and saying that though is I mean the most expensive one of the most expensive things you can do in your business is to get a new client. Those are not cheap to get. But where people don't put enough money into a system is keeping clients once they've gotten them. And so the systems that I put in place, two two big ones are the monthly newsletter which we send a six-page print in the mail newsletter that arrives every month faithfully to our clients. I do this in every business that I own, except for the the one we're starting because we haven't done it yet. But I mean, the mailbox right now is a very lonely place for mail. There's there's not much in there anymore. So there's no competition in the mailbox. You also can't delete mail. I mean, you can sort it and throw it out, but they at least have to touch it, look at it, Make a decision as to whether they're going to read it later or they're throwing it away. It's not like your email inbox. Exactly. I mean, I look at my email. I'm like, oh, oh, wait, one's from Tim. Delete. Another one from Tim. Delete. Well, we try not to do that. We keep the ones from Tim because they're amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Don't delete Tim's emails. But because it's it's a place that one and thing is, is a newsletter is your own media. Okay, so you have to think of it not as. You're just mailing something, but it's literally media. It's like a magazine. It's like a postcard. It's like the tele, uh, your own television show in print. And I think that's a, it's a really good point, though, that you make about lumpy mail. Right? So it's stuff that right. turns up in your inbox. And if you think about the stuff that's in your letterbox right now, it may not, you may not have even gone and cleared it for a couple of days. Because you're right, it's, it's just chock full of windowed envelopes. They're all right. white. They're all windowed, right? It's either bank statements or bills. You don't really like getting it. It's not the most pleasant experience you, you have. But if you turned up and had, I don't know, a red envelope or a gold envelope, which one would you mm-hmm. open first? The one that's addressed to you 
is your name, not dear householder or uh, exactly by oh, yeah. personalization. Jeez, who you know, thought of the that? Morris <laughs> T High. Yeah. Those ones, what they are, sometimes even without the opening, right? I, I find with my bank statements, I because I get them all online as well, and I very rarely look at my bank statements at all. I'll right. just fold it to see if there's a card in it, and it goes straight in the shredder. <laughs> right. right, just kind of a piece at the em- at the envelope. Okay, there's nothing hard in there. Gone. Yeah. I probably should open them more often. Yeah. No. Yeah, but you're right. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting and, and, and quite an easy one to do. What sort of what sort of feedback do you get from newsletters from, from the Lumpy newsletter? Well, I can tell you if we stop sending it, we get complaints that, hey, where's my newsletter? Wow. So I mean it's become an expected piece of mail in their mailbox. And usually we say, Well, the reason you stopped receiving the newsletter is you haven't bought anything from us lately. When was the last time you had your carpet cleaned? 18 months. Maybe it's time you get it clean. Can we get you on the schedule? And nine times out of 10, they'll schedule. If they don't want to and they still like the newsletter, we'll put them back on. We'll start sending them. But we know after 18 months, they get dropped from the newsletter distribution list. So we know people are reading it because we get those. We don't get a lot, but we do get those calls. There are also mechanisms in the newsletter. I call it stickiness. So how do you make your newsletter stick around so that people will read it, leave it out on the coffee table, et cetera? So I'm a big fan of putting a puzzle in there. Now, I don't do puzzles. I'm not a crossword guy or Sudoku or anything. From what I understand, though, people that do those puzzles don't throw the puzzle away until it's complete. So now if the Sudoku is missing two numbers, well, that newsletter's sticking around until they figure out that puzzle. I also put a contest in there to make sure that they actually read the newsletter. And it's because the contest asks a question and the answer is found in the newsletter. So, I mean, it's basic, it's easy. And if they call in and they respond to us, they say, okay, we've got the answer to the contest. They get two movie tickets to the theater of their choice. But we have a lot of fun with this thing. The other point with the newsletter is that it is also a big part of our referral system that we have in place. So there are four places in the newsletter that we talk about referrals. And I think when people think of referral systems, they think that, okay, well, if I tell Aunt Susie, hey, if you got a friend or neighbor who needs us, just make sure you give them our number. To most businesses, that's the referral system. Mm -hmm. Or they try to bribe people. Refer me, I'll give you a $5 Starbucks coupon. Who cares? The reason people refer is because it makes them feel good. They don't refer for financial gain. They don't refer for, I remember my carpet was looked great a year ago. I should go call three friends and tell them right now. That's not why people refer. So if you understand the psychology of referrals, I mean, our referral campaign is actually, we have 11 steps in our referral system. Four of them are inside of the newsletter. So yeah, that newsletter does more. I can get more done. I mean, it costs me a dollar. One under a dollar with postage, I can send that newsletter. Yeah. I think it's a really easy thing. And sometimes having these sort of marketing operating systems that create experience, that creates connection and memory. And there's my dog walking through the background of the podcast there. Hello, Tushy. Is is we just got to do them, put a system around doing them so that they're done consistently, right? It's not just done once or twice and then forgotten about, but we do them consistently because it's consistency that creates that experience, right? right? It's consistency that says, when I deal with this company, this is what I get each and Certainly. every time. And that's why McDonald's does systems genius from a yeah. from a production standpoint. You go into just about any McDonald's anywhere in the world and you again get the same cheeseburger. 
And yes, it's a will. consistent yeah. experience and what to expect. That gives great people a great deal of comfort and reassurance about what they're going to get. But also systems are also liberating from the business. So, I mean, it took me years to get all these systems in place to a point where I don't have to work in those three businesses at all. I mean, I do do two hours a week in those three businesses. I go down, I kiss a few babies, I collect the checks, I make a deposit, I'm done. And that's one of the things I'll probably never let go of is the checkbook. I, I, and I probably would recommend that to any entrepreneur. That's probably the best part of the business, right? Well, it is. But you want to keep your finger on that. Even if you have a bookkeeper, money disappears all the time. So, But it's liberate. So once I got all these systems in place, now all I have to do is manage the systems. And now that I'm managing the systems, I hire a general manager and he manages the systems. And I just told him, I said, don't muck anything up. Don't change anything. Let it run. And if you want to change something, let's talk about it. If we want to improve response or improve return or whatever it is, fine, let's talk about it. But when this system was has grown over four years, it's proven to work. Don't yeah. screw with it. Yeah. And look, you're coming back to, I think, the things you've echoed repeatedly. It's if you can't create a point of difference in your product, create it in your experience. And that's what will make, will st- make you stand out from your... No doubt. Let's finish up. What's the favorite job you've held? What's that? What's, what's been your favorite job that you've held? Favorite job? Well, I would say, uh, it, well, it wasn't really a job, but I played bass guitar in a uh, rock and roll band, and that's literally what paid for college. Um, so I guess it was a job because we got paid, but man, was it fun. Awesome. If you could start another business tomorrow, what business would that be? Legal? A legal business or illegal business? Any. any. As, as gross as it sounds, I would probably start a high-end strip club. As as rude and gross as that sounds, the the margins are just amazing. I wouldn't have to touch it, but the margins are amazing. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, looking at business, no judgment here. Exactly. Uh, who's been your most important professional mentor? Dan Kennedy. Yeah. Master of experience, I think Dan's fantastic. Yeah, he's all, he is a master of many things. What's a podcast that you'd recommend that really drills down into customer experience in a great way that you'd recommend? Aside from my own? Yeah. Wow. That I don't have an answer. I mean, I have my own systematic magic where we, I'd say 75% of it is is about experiences, but I really don't know. I don't have an answer to that. There we go. Systematic magic. Go and check that out. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Lastly, Vance, where can where can listeners find you and connect? Sure. Best place is the website, uh, deliverservicenow.com. You can download a free copy of my book there called Systematic Magic. And there's a whole bunch of worksheets and things you can download as well. Heck, if you just do one or two things from the book, you'll be light years ahead of the competition. Fantastic. Okay. We'll put all those links in the show notes. Vance, thanks so much for sharing your experience and knowledge today. It's been fabulous having you on. And I think the the points you make, the the value bonds that you dropped just about, just do one or two things that really change up and and look at how does this make my customer feel, right? It can really have transformational effect on your business growth. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me on. And just for your listeners, don't delete Tim's emails. Guys, thanks again for joining us on another episode of More Clients, Less Effort. If you click the three buttons at the top of your phone, hit subscribe, like, share, and so on, you will never miss another episode. Vance, again, thanks for joining us. And listeners, thank you for joining us again this week. And we'll see you again soon. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of More Clients, Less Effort. Join us next time for another insightful discussion filled with actionable advice and inspiring stories, all geared towards helping you grow and scale your business simply and easily. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app 
so you never miss an episode. See you next time.